This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Everybody, welcome all our Torah Anytime viewers. Today we are speaking about a heated subject. It's um, something that I take more personally than any of the other religions that we are going, we have disproved. One of the reasons is, well, you'll soon see why. Uh, you know, I take it uh, personally. Um, the fact that they go and they spend, and this is a recent number that came to my attention, that the Christians put roughly around, you know, in the past decade, uh, about a billion dollars to evangelize Jews, uh, which is a significant amount of money. Uh, and that's something that I take really personally because they are taking our brothers and sisters from the right religion, from the correct, or from even from no religion, and putting them in an idolatrous uh, type of uh, religion. Which, again, we spoke about, we, we did, this is the third class that I'm giving on Christianity. One of them I, I gave a class speaking about how to, is Christianity a Vodazara? I am not going to repeat any of that information, that's already on tour anytime. I think titled is Christianity of Odazara, if I'm not mistaken. Then I gave another class on Christianity disproving that JC, uh, which we're going to term JC for Jesus, is 100% not the Messiah. I gave it in the Mashiach uh, series, I believe. So we're not going to repeat any of those, things, of those ideas. The ideas that we're going to be focusing tonight is how do we prove that we know with 100% certainty that this religion is fake, it's man-made, and it's 100% not divine. Not 99, maybe, maybe, no, 100% without a doubt in your mind that it is a uh, man-made religion and it's not a divine religion at all. The other idea to keep in mind, uh, I don't think it is relevant to anybody over here, I hope, but there are many people that when they hear these type of classes, if they are involved with Jesus or the New Testament or Christianity, they take this very, very personally, what I, what I say. Uh, and they don't listen to anything, any of the actual things that I say. They just right away fight back with no substance to the fighting back. There's no sources to it. One of the most, uh, most responded class that I gave to, most comments, most emails, most text on, was, was disproving that JC was, was a Mashiach, which just showed me how many non-Jews actually listen to my classes. Um, and, well, I hope not Jews listening to my I hope they're not Jews that are following Christianity that are listening to my classes. But if they are, at least they listen to some Torah. The, uh, but the idea is, is that when you're learning about this, and if you are in that boat, and unfortunately I have spoken to many people in this boat, that they're in the Christian world and they're in conflict. Is Christianity right? Is Judaism right? Maybe they're both right. Let's just do everything. And I think I've mentioned this. I've, I've went into someone's house who had pictures of Mary and crosses everywhere and also had mezuzahs. He was just trying to cover all his bases. Religion doesn't work that way. You can't cover all your bases by dabbling in all the religions because every religion says that the other religion is wrong. Uh, or at least 99% of the religions say that. So... When you're going into this, when you're looking into this, you have to look at it with an open mind, with an understanding of what is the truth. And we're searching today for what is the truth. The Christians, when they go and they try to uh, evangelize Jews, they tend to pick particular people to, to convert to Christianity. And, I, and I'll share with you a story. So it was, this was maybe a few weeks ago that um, it was the middle of the day. I happened to be home. I get it. And, you know, my doorbell rings. And I go downstairs, I look at the, I look at the, you know, through the, you know, to see who's by the door. It's two African American women are sitting there with pamphlets in their hand. So, I'm like, either they're trying to sell me a religion or cookies. That's what's going to be happening right now. I could almost, you know, so I open the door. They're out there all in smiles and, you know, and they're like, do you want an end of all suffering? 
So I, like a good Jew, respond to a question with another question. And I say, are you guys J-witnesses? And I actually said specifically J-witnesses because you're not supposed to say that because that's, that's God names, God name. And I said, are you guys J-witness? Um, are you guys part of the J-witness protection program? And, uh, they're like, yes, we are. And without missing a beat, they're like, so do you want to end suffering? I don't know what they expected my answer to be. I'd be like, no. <laughs> I wish suffering on everyone. They're like, what do they expect any normal human being that is not locked behind bars to say when they ask that question? Of course they're going to say yes. That is, the, that is the game already behind them. They're already saying this in order to like, okay, you're saying yes, and so now we agree on something. We have a rapport. Let's move on. Do you believe in Jesus? You know, that whatever. How, they're not going to jump into there. They're obviously going to take a few baby steps before they get into the... Um, you know, to the big one. But anyway, so they're going, uh, you know, they're sitting over there, they're like, do you want an end of all suffering? So I said, yes, you know, of course I do. Who wouldn't want to end of all suffering? And then I just happened to add in, by the way, I happen to be an Orthodox person who happened to also teach on the Torah. So they were like, okay, thank you, have a good day. Uh, and they left. I'm like, wait. I'm like, you know, I was literally like, when I saw them, I'm like, should I record this? I'm like, I was like, literally had my phone out, wanted to, uh, but I was like, you know, legally, I uh, whatever, I have to probably ask them. So I said, you know, forget it. I'm like, is that all? They're like, yeah, 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 because we're both fighting for the same cause. Um, so I'm, so I responded back. I'm like, we may be fighting for the same cause, but we're on very different roads. Um, so they were like, yeah, as long as we get to the same, you know, end goal. I'm like, I don't know. I don't think so. And we all laughed very uncomfortably as they, um, and, you know, as they left. And that's it, they left. Now the question is, they're coming door to door. They saw my mezuzah on the door. They saw that this was an orth. I mean, I live in a very orthodox community. They didn't expect, you know, for me to come out in my robe and a thick cross dangling, you know, there, you know, with my, you know, say, you know, with my black hood on, be like, yes, sisters. You know, like they expected to be a Jew there. But what happens when they all of a sudden realize that I may have some inkling of knowledge on the Torah? They're like, okay, fine, have a good day. Like they're not wasting time. Why not wasting my time? If this is the truth, then try to convince me. If it's not the truth, then why are you convincing anybody, everybody else? Um, and it's a good thing that they left because 911 would have probably had to been called at some point. Um, you would have liked that. I, I, you know what? And it's a problem because you're not supposed to. This is not. You're not supposed to go there and try to change the ideas of the missionaries' mind. The missionaries work like robots. They have their program things to say, and if you throw them off their thing, they won't respond to your question. They'll just go back to whatever they were supposed to say, and they'll you know continue with their with their script that they have. Uh, I've tried it, uh, unfortunately, way too many times. It's really a waste of time. There's no re- reason for it. So, they go to the Jews, and they try to convert them to Christianity. Some of them, what they try to do is they say, listen, come to Christianity, but don't worry. What they did is they sort of merged Christianity and Judaism. It's called Messianic, you know, Messianic Christianity, Messianic Judaism, however you want to uh, phrase this, the second word. And they say, listen, it's Jewish with a little bonus of, you know, Jesus involved in here. So, like, we do the same things. And the weird sits says. They'll wear, you know, the, they'll have a big mezuzah. There's a place on Coney Island over here. I think I've mentioned this over here before. A few blocks from here. A huge, it looks like a big shul. Big plaques. Huge silver mezuzah. I'm like, wow. That, I'm like, how are they not scared that no one's going to steal? That's a thick, big mezuzah, silver mezuzah. Maybe, maybe stainless steel. So I'm looking over there. I'm like, you know, I never saw this shul over here. And I've been living here for quite some time. I never saw this shul. All of a sudden, I'm looking at the plaques. It's like, you know, it's, it's very, very oblivious. All of a sudden, I see like in small letters, in a little plaque, like right near the hydrant or something, there's like, you know, Messianic, uh, you, know, uh, you know, synagogue. I'm like, oh, there it is. And, you know, that's why I haven't known about it. So they... they masquerade their entire religion to try to convince Jews this is a hundred percent fraud this is like not even trying this is just trying to deceive the Jews into coming into their religion so 
This is one of the reasons why I take it very, very personally when I'm dealing with this thing. Because you think about it, you don't have people, you know, you don't have Muslims sitting out with flyers and be like, Allah, you know, Allah, Allah, you know, Allah, yeah. You know, they, they don't go there and they try, to, they try to kill us, but I'm saying, but they're not trying to go and change us, uh, you know, through, you know, to convert to their, to their religion. Christianity is one of the only uh, religions nowadays that are so active in trying to get the Jews away from Judaism. The, uh, also, when you look at uh, intermarriage rate, there was, a, you know, and again, this is a statistics that I saw, how accurate it is. It sounds pretty accurate, but I can't validate it. It's, it's 100% authenticity. I, didn't, I, didn't, I couldn't find the actual source for it. But it said like this. It said 50 years ago, there were roughly around 5.5 million Jews in the United States. Then, during that 50 years, there was at least a half a million Jewish immigrants that came into the uh, United States. Now, there's also roughly 5.5, I think there's a little bit more, I think there's more close to 6.5 million Jews in America. Now, what happened in the 50 years with all the immigrants that are coming in, all the Jewish immigrants, all the people that they should have had children, where do all the Jews go? So, the, the, the statistic went, goes on, and it says that the average birth rate of non-Orthodox American Jews is about one child per family. There's two dogs and two cats involved also, but there's one child per family. In order for, for, a, uh, in order for a family to either stay as status quo in the numbers that they have, they have to have at least two kids, or it's at least 2.1 if you're going to statistical analysis. You have to have at least two kids in order to, for the numbers to stay. And that makes sense, because there's two parents, and if you want the same number to be after those parents die, you need at least two kids. If the Jewish non-Orthodox population is only having one kid, that means every generation the Jewish population is decreasing by 50%. Not only that, you have between the ages of 18 to 39 an intermarriage rate of 72%. That is a significant... And from those intermarried couples, their children, only 4% are brought up with a Jewish identity. 96% of those Jewish or not Jewish, depending on who the mother or the father was, uh, was a Jew, are brought up not knowing anything about Judaism, completely oblivious to anything that is their heritage or anything that they have to do with. And it goes on, within three or more generations... Nine, 97% of today's non-Orthodox Jews will have no Jewish descendants. That is a very, very scary and sad fact for the entire Jewish nation. Now when these you know, people intermarry, where do they get married usually? The non-religious wedding? No, they usually get married at churches. I'm not saying 100% of the time, but very, very likely they'll get married at a church, especially if they're marrying somebody who is a little bit you know, Christian. Of course they're going to get married at, at, a, uh, at a church. Or a reformed temple. Can you call it any better? Um, they, and, you know, and, and it's really unfortunate. I have... I know a guy who uh, comes to some of my classes. I don't know why, but he comes. And he, his father is Jewish, his mother is not. The problem, I told him he shouldn't be coming. Jew, not Jew, you know, learning Torah is a problem itself. But I told, but he comes in and he's, um, you know, and he tells me about his family. His mother is is like Christian. His father is Jewish, but his entire siblings are all very, very involved in the in the in the church. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. Out of all, not only do you not do you stay secular, but you're also going and getting involved in the church. Okay, so that is why uh, this is uh, this is a you know this is something that I decided to devote an entire class to, even though we spoke about it twice. Uh, but it's something that I feel is of importance. And again, this is very important that I, I'm not presenting this information that you should go like I know somebody that goes on chat rooms and goes and just picks fights with with Catholics. This is not the purpose of this. The purpose of this is to go and wake people up to realize if they are a Jewish in a in in this adulterous cult, then they should go and they should uh, definitely uh, do some research and learn what it's really all about. So, in order to disprove this, we have to go based on our criteria that were presented a few classes ago. Number one. We get five, five different criteria. Number one, is there a reason to believe that this religion is God-given? 
For Christianity, it actually checks off. There is. JC, Jesus, he claims that he is the son of God, God, you know, prophet, Messiah, a bunch of other things that sort of conflict with each other, but we'll leave that for later. He believes, he, well, he claims that he is the Messiah, so, and he has a divine connection with God. So that actually checks off. So they have, they have a belief over here that it is a God-given religion. Part two is where it gets a little problematic. Can it easily be made up? And the answer is, yeah, because who else can say, like, yeah, he's the son of God. I saw God go and impregnate Mary. Like, like, there's nobody that you can say that. There's nobody else other than him that can state what the, the state that he, ha- that he has. His prophetic visions, no one else had it. No one else decided and said, yeah, so God came to me and told me that he's, a, you, know, um, he, you know, he's the Messiah. I should rephrase that. Nobody of noteworthy said that. Um, number three, if this is a God-given religion, how do we know that it is still current? Right, so we claim that Judaism is the current religion, but how do we know that it's still current? We're going to actually deal with that today. We're going to speak about that today. How do we know that Judaism is still current to this day? But furthermore, if it's Christianity, how do we know that Christianity is current to this day? Maybe it's like the Islam, the, you know, the, the, the Arabs say that Islam, that what? That Muhammad came in afterwards, and that is the final, uh, you know, the final religion. Number four and five is, number four, we spoke about a selective evidence, where you see what you want to see, you pretend, uh, you know, they claim that Christianity is so true. Why? Because look, there's, Two point, there's over 2.2 billion people that are following. This is the largest religion to date. Uh, 2.2 billion people are following this religion. Must be that it's a true religion. Or, or possibly, another more likely alternative answer would be, well, let's look about why and how people came and converted to Christianity. Do you think people went there... They had a slew of religions in front of them. You're like, you know what? You know, it's a religion, you know, game show. Let's see what's the right religion. You know, and they, and they went and they searched and investigated. No, that's not how people become Christians. People become Christians, and if you look at it historically, the ruler usually became Christian, forced everybody else to become Christians, good for politics, and then he went, and that's how people became religious. So the, the, the Christian. So it's not saying like, oh, this is the right religion because... You know, there's so many people. Many people are ignorant in today's age. Even the Christians are ignorant in today's day and age. They don't even know the New Testament. They don't even know that it's, you know, that it's a, a what's it called? That it's something to do that. It's fine. You loosened it up. So, um, so number and number five is positive evidence. How do we know that he has a connection with God? So a good idea would be prophecy. Call yourself a prophet. Predict something in the future. Let me see. Social media, you're going to predict in the future. Or lesser, and we're going to see, what about miracles? What about if someone could be a miracle worker? If somebody's a miracle worker, do you think that that count as having some divine powers or even having some, um, you know, divinity involved with you? Okay, so, Christianity evolved from Judaism. I think that's pretty, you know, everyone, that's a pretty obvious thing. It actually evolved from the final years of JC's life. When you look at Christianity in its history, it's not the most lovey-dovey of religions. And in fact, there are tens of, tens of millions, if not more, murdered in the name of Christianity. You have the Crusades, the Spanish Inquisition, the Thirty Years' War, the genocide of the native civilizations in the Americas, the Third Reich, the, Ro- the Rwandan genocide, and more and more. There are many people that were murdered in the sake of Christianity. So, this is not a religion that spews only love and hate, even though now they're much better off than they were before. Now they, they stopped with the, you know, with, the, with, the, with the murdering and the killing and it's more, and now it's trying to get everybody through love and happiness, which is also you know, very dangerous. The, you look at who they make their saints, you could tell a little bit about who they are as a, as a religion. There's somebody by the name of St. Hugh. This was an eight-year-old boy that was found murdered. 
They blamed the Jews, they killed then 18 Jews, and then they called you a saint. There's also somebody by the name of Saint Simon. He was a two-year-old that was killed, and they blamed the Jews. They went, they went, and they killed all the Jews in the city, in the city of Trent. And then they turned Simon into a saint. Saint Bernard, he's somebody who called the Jews dogs. And they have the power of the devil, and he made the criteria. Yeah, now you can be a saint, right? So we see a sort of pattern over here. It wasn't like... Yeah, great people did great things, became saints. You have people here that were vile, destructive, immoral people that went and, and did... Well, these are children, but you look at it in, in the other ones. They did bad things and then became saints. So that already tells you something about the religions. Also, let's look at the authors of the New Testament. They claim the New Testament was written prophetically. Who are the authors of these people? Did they ever... This is a very good question. Did they ever actually meet, you know, Jesus, you know, got his autograph, you know... While he, you know, he went and he was flying one day, I was like, oh Jesus, Jesus I, I love you, I love you, I love your work. Can you sign my, uh, you know, my stone tablet? You know, like, they went and they, did they ever actually see JC? Did they ever actually see Jesus? And the answer is no. The writers of the New Testament, all the writers of the New, all the Gospels, never actually met Jesus. The, in fact, it was, there was a period of a minimum of 40 years, 40 years, 40 years from when he died till when the first gospel, which was uh, Mark, was was, uh, written. And then over the period of the next 40 years, you know, other gospels were were written. So not only nobody saw him, they're dealing with people who was an eyewitness of eyewitnesses, or even just an eyewitness. Uh, And the Catholic Church itself claims that half the books of the New Testament, which was written by Paul, never met J.C. Well, let me phrase that. He met J.C. 30 years after he died in a vision. So, um, you know, again... Who's, who's going to say, no, you didn't. You know, I was with you the whole time. I had the same shrooms as you, and I didn't... No, they're not going to say that. They're gonna, who, no one could, could deny the fact that he claimed that he had a vision. Did they have any predictions in, uh, in Christianity? In fact, they did have sort of a prediction. The prediction was that the, you know, the Jewish people are going to stay in exile until they go, and they accept Jesus as uh, their Messiah. Uh, that was all nice and dandy, it was working well for them, until the state of Israel came into effect, and then they're like, uh, you know, like this kind of like, let's just sketch that from our, from our, you know, from our repertoire. This is not true, because all of a sudden, now we do it, now we're, technically we're not in, we are in exile, but we have a state all of a sudden. So where are you saying that, uh, according to the, to the Christians' predictions, that um, they're, they're always going to be in exile? The Christians believe that, um, they believe in the Torah, uh, and they call it the Old Testament, and then they believe in part two, the sequel, uh, which was the New Testament. The problem with that is, is that kind of would have been a good idea to hint that in the first book, or, you know, the first, you know, sequel. Um, the, the idea, as you can understand like this, a king once died, left two sons. And he never anointed, appointed one of the sons as the next king. So the entire... Kingdom split into two. Says, no, this one's going to be king. And they said, no, this one's going to be king. And they were fighting each other. And called, finally, the elders met. And they said, they have to make it. This is, this is the, sp- splitting the kingdom apart. They have to make some sort, of, uh, some sort of an agreement. So they went in. And while they're having this debate with the two sons saying, I'm going to be king. And the other one says, I'm going to be king. One of the sons, uh, the prince, gets up. And he says, listen, father came to me in a dream last night. And he told me that I'm supposed to be the next king. So the, you know, the, the wise men, the people from the council said... If your father wanted you to be the king, he should have came to us in a dream and told us that you are to be the king. So the same thing. If Jesus was supposed to be the Messiah, and he only told Jesus, his son, who is him, who is the Messiah, who is a prophet, who is also partly him. Imagine that conversation that had to go on in heaven, you know. 
God goes out there like, hey, my son, I mean me, I mean my son, is I'm going to send you on a mission. It's going to be a suicide mission. Uh, I'm going to send you on a mission. You know, like, what was, but it's not going to be, you're going to, it's, it's me, it's you, it's together, we're all together, we're, you know, singing together. You know, like, where is this? How do you even understand what's going on over here? It doesn't even make logical sense. Like, forget about, like, trying to go and figure out from a philosophical standpoint, from a logical perspective, it makes absolutely no sense. He has a son. But is there a mother involved? Like, where did the son come from? I mean, I had so many questions on this thing, you know? And then there's a Holy Spirit. I'm like, where did this Holy Spirit come into? And we're actually going to see when it actually was introduced to uh, Christianity. Did you say there is a female God and a male God? Who, Christians? Yeah. And, like, I forgot which one of them. There's so many different beds. Yeah, there's, 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 there's thousands of thousands of them. Uh, the female version? I don't know. I, I've never heard that. It's possible I've never heard that. Generally, they have a trinity. Again, there are people, there's so many different denominations that they, different levels of the Trinity, the J witnesses, they don't hold as JC as an actual God on the God level, it's a little bit lower, you know, didn't, you know, second place, whatever. So, you know, you have, you have different variants of it, but I don't know if there's a female variant uh, involved. It might be, out of all the thousands of different versions of it, I wouldn't be surprised. The, you know, and uh, let's speak a little bit about the, the virgin birth. Um, virgin birth must have been a very interesting story, because Mary and Joseph... Happily engaged couple. I'm sure of some, you know, what is it? Simcha Spath, whatever, got them all on there. And, um, you know, Joseph left. He comes back. Mazel Tov, Mary's pregnant. He's scratching his head. He's like, listen. He says, uh, you know, how did this happen? He says, you know the punishment for this thing? And she gets nervous. She says, no, 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 no. This, God implanted this into me. This, I, very faithful. No, did nothing. God implanted laser beams right into my womb. A baby, I have nothing to it. And Joseph was like, oh, yeah, that, make, that makes sense. Okay, fine. And let's just go with that. We're, who is the one to validate that? Could anybody, you know, like, maybe there were three old wise men. They were like, yeah, we saw it. We were watching. We saw it all happen. Maybe that's why they came afterwards. They say interesting jokes. So, you know, like, no one know who the father was. All of a sudden, the baby is born. Three old men coming to visit the, you know, the, you know, the baby. But in any case, the, um, they come in and, and they claim that no, there is proof from the Torah that a virgin is going to give birth. What is the proof? It's from Isaiah, Yeshayahu, chapter 7, verse 14. There is a word there that is said, that is Ha'alma. Ha'alma in the normal translation, not I shouldn't say normal translation, in every single translation ever, is known as the young woman. Christians go and say, no, 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 this means a virgin. Now, I have to state that nowhere ever in all the divine books of the Torah is Alma ever noted as virgin? Virgin is known as Betula. Betula. That is a virgin. Alma is never known is known as a young woman. Christianity changes. Like, no, this is uh, this is a uh, a uh, a virgin. Now, even if we were to you know, in, let's say, let's say, yeah, it means virgin. Even if you read it linguistically, it doesn't even make sense. It would say a virgin who gave birth, which means is it's not implying that she was a virgin at conception. Rather, it implies that she was a virgin when she got married, like everybody else, every other Jewish woman over there that was a virgin when she got married, and she gave birth, this was the first child. It wouldn't even linguistically make sense that she was a virgin at conception. So this thing makes sense already, it does not make sense from two angles. Furthermore, we have to look at it, what is the context of this, of this, uh, of this verse in Isaiah? And by the way, they always throw out this Isaiah, they throw out this Isaiah, Isaiah 53, they, they throw out a lot of these verses, um, not knowing... 90% of them, even when they say this, don't even know the verse before it or after it, of, of when they claim uh, this thing. So, if you're looking at uh, the context of what is this Pasuk actually talking about, King Ahaz was, went to, you know, Yeshayahu, the prophet, and he says he was nervous. The northern J Jewish kingdom 
has been destroyed. Now, the, the king was nervous about the southern, you know, Jewish kingdom. Is this going to suffer the same fate as the northern kingdom? So, he went to Isaiah and he said, please, prophesy, let me know what's going to happen. So, Isaiah went and he prophesied and he says, Ha'alma, which by the way, correct translation means not a virgin, but it will be the young woman. The there's a very difference. So not only did they change the meaning of the word, they also changed the pretext of it. Ha, hey, always implies the. The means something more specific. They changed it to an A. A implying something, you know, in the future, possibly they don't know. When Isaiah said the young woman, the young woman means, ha'amla, the young woman means that me and you both know this woman. It's like he's saying the woman. The woman means you're implying to know somebody, not a woman. The woman is implying to know somebody. Who is this woman? So you look at chapter 8 of Isaiah, and this is, this is, this is referring to Isaiah's own wife. Which means is, is that she was going to have a child. What was the child's name going to be? The child's name was going to be Emmanuel. What is Emmanuel? This is what the pasuk goes on. Emmanuel means that God is with us. So he is answering already the question that the king asked him. The king asked him, is everything going to be okay? He's saying, yeah, Emmanuel, God is going to be with us, which means you don't have to worry about the, the other part of the kingdom. There's not going to be any uh, issue with it. God is going to be with us. I'll give you in a second. Let me just finish this, uh, this, this talk. And then the, Isaiah goes on, but when is this going to happen? You look at two verses later in chapter uh, 7, verse 16. It says, when the, when the young boy, when he doesn't know yet between bad and to choose good, which means is before bar mitzvah. Which means it's until the age of 13. Which means, not only did Isaiah prophesize what is going to happen, but also when it's going to happen. That is the prophecy in the correct uh, words of it. Now, Christianity is known to manipulate the words. It's not, this is not a sign of divinity. When you're trying to go and manipulate stuff, that's a sign of deception. Not a sign of div- divinity. It doesn't prove anything. You had a question? Yeah, I'm just confused. What is this, this, all these psikha, what's the connection to Christianity? Christianity claims that Ha'ama is a virgin. Which meaning that one day a virgin is going to give birth, and that is going to be the Messiah. But what is he talking about? He's they not. Say that these mean that a virgin is going to give birth, and he's going to give the Messiah. Yeah, and it's not what what I just said about the king and the you know, compl- nothing related to it to with the Messiah. Yeah, so they go and they just interpret things their own way, and they completely manipulate uh, the you know the, the the actual Torah. The also let's look at some miraculous claims. So even there was a, there was a Catholic the president the former president of the Catholic Biblical Association by the name of Raymond Brown he admits regarding the resurrection that no one actually saw the resurrection no one we know actually saw the resurrection and in fact there is conflicting um, you know opinions of where he was after the resurrection Luke and John claim that he was only underlining only in Jerusalem Matthew and Mark said that he was only in the Galilee. Two very far different places. And in fact, he claims himself, you know, he says himself, I, we, I don't know how to answer this. Well, he says, you know, the way that he answers this contradiction, these are non-historical attempts to reconstruct the events never witnessed by their respective authors. I thought this is a divine book. If this is a divine book, why do you have to guess where he went? And why is it conflicting? This is not, a, this is not an idea. This is a very, very outright contradiction in their own book in itself. It's also, you know, when you, um, when you look at all the miracles that he did. So the disciples said that they saw Jesus walk on the sea of the Galilee. And this is written in Mark 6, chapter 45 to 52, and John 6, chapter 16 to 21. Yet, each text fails to mention who the disciples were. It's imagine I'm coming over to you, and I say, like, I just ran across um, the Coney Island beach to the, whatever it is, to, like, to Staten Island. Just ran across it. And be like, did any, you have any witnesses? Yeah, tons of people. Who? Why are you asking questions? You know, like, it doesn't matter. People saw me, okay? The, you know, and I also flew. You had, yeah, people saw me also, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who is it? Stop asking questions. Like, like, it doesn't tell, like, it doesn't say anything. Yeah, there were witnesses. 
hundreds of people, thousands of people are witnesses, but never mention one witness name, wouldn't that be a good idea? Then we could validate it in your head, like your granddaddy said, you know, like it says over here, did he ever mention anything about that? No, there's no way to validate this information. Uh, also, the same idea, JC fed 5,000 men with five loaves of bread. Again, no, no, uh, no, no witness mentioned. But let's say, let's say he did do it. Let's, let's give him the benefit of the doubt. Don Lefkowski, right? If that, you could even say that. And he go, and he did do it. Does that mean that he is God? Let's look at what the, you know, what, what, what our Torah has. The prophet Elisha poured a vast amount of oil from a tiny little jug, right? We see this in Kings, uh, chapter 4, verse 1 through 7. How he poured a t- he made a very big middle, took a small jug and kept on pouring, pouring, and pouring, and pouring, and pouring. Then you go and you see that Elisha, similar to J.C., who revived the dead, which J.C. claimed that they did in Mark chapter 5, verse 35 to 43. And also we have Eliyahu that went, ascended to heaven, similar like they say J.C. did in Acts chapter 1, verse 9. Also, you know, Eliyahu we have in, in Kings chapter 4, verse 18. However, never does the Torah mention, both of them did equal miracles. Never does the Torah mention that Elisha or Eliyahu is God, or even God-like, or even Son of God, or anything even remotely close to that. Nothing else other than prophet and holy people. So, you know, the kind of J.C. produced so much bread miraculously. So did Moshe Rabbeinu. Gave month for a lot longer than, uh, um, than J.C. was able to produce, uh, produce bread. Yet, the Torah doesn't say Moshe was a god. The Torah doesn't say pray to Moshe. The Torah doesn't use any divinity to Moshe other than he was a holy person. The, and in fact, in the Torah itself, in Devarim, in Deuteronomy, chapter 13, verse 2 to verse 6, it says, Ki bekirbe If a prophet goes among you, it says a dreamer, someone who's a dreamer, and he's a, a prophet, implying a fake prophet, that he shows you a sign, and he gives you a sign, he says, oh, you see the sign, you see that I'm a prophet? Now come, let's go worship other gods. So the pasuk continues, says, do not pay attention to him, God is testing you. In the Torah itself, it says that if someone comes, and J.C. for sure was pulling people away from, from, from Judaism, he says, you don't have to keep a Shabbos, you don't have to do this, it's pulling people away. In the Torah itself, it says, don't listen to someone like him. But yet they claim that, yeah, yeah, yeah the Torah is right, and uh, there's no contradiction between the two. Are you out of your, you know, I'm going to be listing so many verses right now, I'm just going to, okay, I, I feel it, blood pressure rising. Okay. If somebody goes and performs miracles, he can prove nothing else that he can perform miracles. It means absolutely nothing that he is God or any divinity associated with him. The Christians, again, again, this is very, very important. They claim that the Old Testament, the Torah is true. Thank you. They also claim that it's accurate and it's also divine. However, they also claim that if there's a conflict between the New Testament and the Old Testament, we go according to the New Testament. Again, you're going to scratch your head like this. Is it true? Is it, is it all together? Is it no conflict? How could there even be... Can, is it even possible if they're both from divine God, who is divine and knows everything, how is it possible that it could be two conflicting ideas in there? If there's two conflicting ideas, something has got to be wrong. Well, let's look at it. All the Jews claim the Torah is right. All the Christians claim the Torah is right. So now, we got two, and all the, the, the New Testament, just the, you know, the, the, you know, the Christians claim it's right. So we got so far two to one. So when we're having a conflict, we should think, let's go by the majority. Right? you got to go after the Rabbim. Why is it that you're going after uh, you know, something that came in afterwards and only part of the population, part of the world, part of the people that believed in this original religion actually believed it to be divine? The Torah says that God judges the people based on the 613 commandments and for the Jews and for the Gentiles, the seven Noahide laws. The Christians teaches that God judges the world through the faith of Jesus. Where do you know that from? Like, where is that from? The Christians also claim that, the, that he is a Jewish Messiah, Mashiach ben, da, ben David. Now, there's two very, very important aspects to it, and you could ask this to any Christian, there is absolutely zero answers to this. There is not a single verse in the entire Torah. Let me say that again so the Christians can understand it. There's not a single verse in the entire Old Testament that there mentions a concept of faith in the Messiah for personal salvation. Again, in case 
I was speaking too fast, as many people claim. There is not a single, not even one, not even a single, one on one, uno, nicht uno even, verse in the entire Torah, in the entire Old Testament, that says the concept of faith in the Messiah, Messiah, Mashiach, Messiah, whatever it is that you believe in, for personal salvation. And let's take it a, a step further. Also, there is absolutely no concept that the Mashiach, or Mashiach ben David, will die for our sins and save us. Both of them are not in existence in the Torah. Where do you come up? This is the, fu- by the way, this is a fundamental understanding of their religion. It's not something like, oh, by the way, they snuck this in. This is the basis of their religion. Absolutely no source in the first of all. If God knew the future, which of course we all know that He did, Christians all claim that He did, He knew that this was going to happen. Wouldn't it have been smart while writing the Torah, dictating to Moshe, whatever it is, um, you know, put in small letters, I don't care, put it somewhere. Be like, by the way, you know, until the Mashiach comes, you know, we're going to change this whole thing up. You know, like it's not going to be relevant. Uh, and then when you have faith in my son, everything is going to be cool. Don't worry about it. That would have been a smart idea to put inside over there. The Torah teaches us that You want to do repentance, you want to change the decree, you got to do three things. Tshuva, repent. Tfilah, you got to pray. And Tzedakah, you got to give charity. And that's what the Torah says you want to do. Christians, <laughs> forget about that stuff. Just believe. If you believe, you're fine. That's all you have to do. Uh, they also Christians also claim that who's a Satan? Satan is a fallen angel who has free will. Um, this is again producing two different powers already to there. And the Torah teaches us that all angels are 100% messengers from God. They don't have their own free will. They don't have the ability to do what they want. It's all directly from God. Christians, some Christians also believe in predestination. Predestination means that you are supposed to do this and this and this and this and this. What's going to happen? Which negates the whole idea of free will. Which is a problem in its entirety, but we're not going to dwell on it. The, um, JC comes along, and he says, Ah, these mitzvot, you don't have to worry about these things. It's too difficult, you don't have to worry about it. Now, when you're going and you're preaching to people a new religion, and you're saying, it's a very easy religion, that's a, that's a very good way to buy someone into the religion. So you don't have to do much, this is what you have to do, uh, which is just have belief and faith in me, and that's about it. So, when you're preaching an easy religion like that, he should have a lot of followers. And it makes sense. We see that I have a lot of followers right now. But then it gives us a question. The question is, is that when he came out with this new idea, this new religion, he didn't have a lot of followers. It was a friends and family plan only. Like he had only like people that were associated very close to him. Nobody else, what, not, not even one sage, one chacham that went and said, you know what? Yeah, he's right. Uh, let's, uh, let's, uh, let's follow this religion. Nobody claimed for his entire, his majority of his own people rejected him. If it's an easy religion, which means it's an easy sell, then how come he couldn't sell anybody? How come? The answer is because he made it up. He made it's all 100% fake. It's all 100% false. When people came in there, and you know he was preaching his stuff, and people came to him and says, you know, can you show me a sign? So he, he it says it in Matthew chapter 12 verse uh, 39. Only but an evil and an adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. That's like saying something like, yeah, I could I could fly. Can you show me? Stop being such an adulterous person. You don't believe in me. You don't have faith in me. Be like, I don't know, you just came over to me, told me that you're a son of God, you know, can you at least show me why? Be like, a bunch of adulterers, religion, you know, like, what, you know, that guy, is, that's like not, that's not, not a sane response. If you're claiming something, then you have to bring some foundation to it, some fact to it. At least bring some foundation from the Torah from it, at least something, but nothing. It wasn't until after his death that really, you know, Christianity came to explode. Yeah, it's when it hit the, you know, the, you know, the big bang. It, um... 
you know, a guy by the name of Shaul, who later called himself Paul, um, he went and he tried to get a lot of Jews to go to Christianity. It wasn't working. Changed his tactic, right? When a business model is not working, you got to change it. He changed the business model. He went and he started getting all the Gentile people into the, into the religion. And by the way, that is why, and we spoke about this in Is Christianity Abu Dazara, this is why you have many, many of the, of the, Holidays of Christianity has, has very, very strongly rooted in idolatrous rituals, which is why you can't participate in any of them. You can't do any. It's, it's all dealt with 100% idolatry. So, um, and that is, and that is why we have this type of thing. Now, again, we spoke about this. Any true religion doesn't have to go and bring people in there. It doesn't have, if you're the word of God, your, your, your me- message is not to take people from other religions and bring in their religion also into your, in your religion. Like, hey, I'll just bring it in. It's a number game, baby. We're gotta get numbers. And you're just getting numbers. That's not a sign of a true religion. The, there's something also very, very interesting. If you look at, at the, you know, Christianity and its history, JC, Jesus, was not always God. Kind of, sort of happened a few hundred years after he died. What happened was, is that there were a group of people called the Arians. This was led by an Egyptian priest by the name of Arius. He lived from 318 to 355 Common Era. He and his entire following did not believe that Jesus was God. They believed that he was a prophet. And this was actually a very, very dominant form of Christianity in Spain. It was very dominant. However, the Greek Christians, they were conflicting. They had a machoket over there. They, they claimed that, no, J.C. was a God. And there was an argument between, the, between them, them two. This was the battle over the status of J.C., Jesus. This all changed in the year 325 Common Era when the pagan Roman Emperor Constantine became uh, decided to take Christianity as the official religion. And when he started to, when he decided he's going to take this as official religion, he had to do something. Now we can have a idea like, is the leader, the former, the founder, a god or is he not a god? This is a very, very conflicting idea. So they had to make a maskana. They had to pass in what is going to be: is he a god or is he not a god? So what he did was decided to go by a vote. Problem is that Constantine, he supported the deification of Jesus. He wanted Jesus to be God. Why? Because his entire population all believed in God-like, human-like that became gods. Like they believed they were pagans. And he wanted to introduce them, so he had to, you know, spice it up a little bit, make it more to their taste. So what he did was, he excluded all the Arian bishops. All the people that believed that he was just a prophet, that was not God, they didn't get an invitation. Uh, the other people, they came in, and the final ruling, the final verdict was 218 to 2 for divine Jesus. And that's when J.C. became God. He was elected, he elected, now he became, all of a sudden he became God. So which means is, for over 200 years, Christianity is not fully practicing that J.C. is God. And all of a sudden now, he turns into God. Now, that is, you know, a pretty big deal, you know, like, if you're stating a religion, you're not sure if this is God or this is not God, that is a very, very fundamental problem in the religion itself. The Holy Spirit in its entirety was added 56 years after that, in the Council of Constantinople, this was like something that involved, you know, afterwards, the, um, but in any case, you know, I feel we've been after enough. And by the way, this was, this was done at the, at the count, this was uh, original, where, where Jesus became the, um, you know, became a god. This was done at the Council of Nicaea. Okay, so now let's look at some contradictions. Because contradictions, if they claim, again, we are disproving Christianity from their own words, not from our words, from their own words. The Christian, Christians teach that the Torah is temporary until Jesus came and fulfilled the laws. And after he fulfilled the laws, it's done. We don't have to deal with it. We don't have to deal with the, with the Torah anymore. Let us look at some verses from the Torah. In Devarim, chapter 28, verse 46. It says over there that it's going to be a sign and a wonder for you 
forever. Olam is forever for eternity. Those are the translations of the word. In Ezekiel, chapter 37, verse 25, it says also, and their children and children's uh, children forever. Olam. Some of the verses I'm not going to read in, in Hebrew just so that people don't doze off because when you hear Hebrew, it's, you know, get the never, never line. But, uh, so I'll read it just in English, but I'll tell you exactly where the source for it so you can go and look it up. Devarim, Deuteronomy, chapter 13, verse 1. Everything that I command you, God says, shall be, caref- shall be carefully to do it. You shall be careful that you should do it. You shall never neither add to it nor subtract to it. Again, don't add or don't subtract from the Torah that I am giving you. It would have been a good idea to put in a continuation to that verse until Jesus comes, Messiah comes, and then you don't have to do it anymore. But yeah, it doesn't say that anywhere in the Torah. Genesis chapter 17 verse 9. I'll give you and your, and your children. You'll keep it my covenant for throughout all generations. Exodus chapter 31 verse 16. You'll keep the Sabbath for an everlasting covenant. Everlasting. Not till something. Everlasting means forever. Not until the Mashiach comes. Dvarim chapter 11 verse 1. You shall love your God, you shall keep His charge, and His statutes, and His ordinances, and His commandments all the days, forever. Never here does it mention anything until Bart. Let's do one more. Devarim, chapter 28, verse 46. And there should be a sign and a wonder upon you and upon your offspring forever. Additional sources, we're not going to quote all the verses. Devarim, chapter 29, verse 28. Tehilim, Psalms, chapter 111, verse 7 to 9. Kings, chapter 17, verse 37. Ezekiel, chapter 37, verse 24 through 25. And I could go on and on and on. And how many verses does it say that the Torah is not going to be replaced? The, the, the laws that you have to keep are going to be forever. How do the Christians answer this? They don't. Um... Even in the New Testament, even in the New Testament itself, you know, you know, J.C., Jesus says himself in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 to verse, verse 19, Do not think that I came to destroy the law of the prophets, that I'm quoting, did not come to destroy but to fulfill. Till heaven and earth pass away, one word will by no means pass from the law until it's all fulfilled. Whoever breaks even the least of these commandments, referring to the Torah, is considered least in the kingdom of heaven. So in their own testament, says that you have to keep the Torah. I mean, you know, this comes a big problem because Jesus himself didn't keep the Torah. He actually, you know, like he, he, he told his followers they don't have to keep Shabbos. He says, but it says in the Torah, you have to keep Shabbos. I'm the Lord of the Shabbos. You know, like he goes and he changes the entire things for his, for his thing. But if the Torah is true, why is Sunday your holy day? What happened to the Sabbath? Okay, the Seventh-day Adventists, they actually go keep the Shabbos. The majority of the Christianity, they move it to Sunday. They got to keep their bases, right? And, the, you, know, it, you know, Muslims were like, we can't do the same thing as everybody else. Let's do it to Friday. So they move it to Friday, the Jews, Jews keep uh, Shabbos, and the Christians keep Sunday. But if the Torah is true, where in the Torah says, like, holy day is going to be Saturday, until Mashiach comes, we're going to move it one day over to, to, you know, to Sunday. Nowhere. Where did they get that from? If you believe it, why do you eat pig? How is pork, pork kosher? You, if you believe in the Torah, then, how do you, then, then where, where are all these laws? Why did you keep on Shana Yom Kippur? It says straight out of the Torah. So, again, no answers. Well, the answer is they fulfilled it. Where did he fulfill it? There's absolutely zero source for anything that they say. Also, we have to know that God does not change His mind. It can't be like, okay, the Jews were until a certain point, then God changed His mind. In Malachi, chapter 3, verse 6, Ki ani Hashem lo shaniti lo kalitem. For I, God, have not changed, and you, the sons of Jacob, have not reached the end. You'll never be destroyed. Very, very straight out says that I am not going to change. 
And the Torah says many, many times that not only is the, the laws have to be kept until the end of times, the Jewish nation will never, never be replaced. In Genesis chapter 17, verse 7, God says, I establish my covenant between me and you, speaking to Abraham, and between your seed after you for generations and generations to come forever. Brit Olam, an everlasting covenant. Leviticus chapter 26, verse 44. The Torah says, even, even, even when you go into, into exile, when you're going to be in the land of your enemies, I will not despise them, nor I will reject them to destroy them. Referring to the Jewish nation. So the Christians can't claim, well, yeah, God, you weren't listening to God, and then God changed it to the Christianity. It says straight out in the Torah that it's never going to happen. How do you answer that? Oh, then again, it goes on, and I'll remember them for a covenant made forever. Isaiah chapter 55, verse, uh, the verse 54, sorry, Isaiah chapter 54, verse 10. My, ca- my kindness, my kindness shall not depart from you, and neither shall the covenant of my peace be ever removed. Isaiah chapter 59 verse 21. God says that my Torah is never going to be removed, not from your mouth, not from your children's mouth. Forever and ever the Torah is always going to be removed. Now, if the Torah is going to be null and void, if it's not going to be, a, if it's going to be why, did God, why did God say, give this promise that it's going to stay for eternity? Again, Leviticus chapter 26 verse 44. I will not despise them, nor I will reject them, nor I will, I will annihilate them. Again and again, Numerous, numerous verses in the Torah stating specifically that the Torah will never be changed, that the Jewish nation will never be replaced. So how in the sane person's mind that reads the Old Testament of the Torah can say, with, 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 just forget about like, I'm not learning something difficult over here. It's saying it straight out. Not once, not twice, but tens of times. It says it again and again in the Torah. The Gospels also, this is where you get a little bit of a Jewy brain. Uh, the Gospels also claim that the Romans killed, killed Jesus. But then they sort of shift the blames towards the Jews. And they say, no, the Jews really killed. That's why there was a lot of anti-Semitism. Because they claim the Jews also are in fact killed, uh, um, killed Jesus. Now, if the purpose of Jesus coming into this world as a suicide mission. Thank you. And the mission was to go and die for people's sin. So that he can go and be a salvation to everybody else. So, if the Jews were involved, which they weren't. But if they were involved, which again they weren't. But even if you want to say they were involved. Aren't they just fulfilling God's will? It's like, I'm going to punish you for filling God's will. I'm like, but isn't that the, what would have happened if Jesus would have died from old age? Like, imagine Jesus lived on, you know, and he died at his, at his old age. It's like the entire Christianity would have been null and void. He wouldn't have been murdered for his sins, for anybody else's sins. So the entire thing was that. So they came anti-Semitic, they were, they used anti-Semitism against the Jews. Why? For something that God, that was supposed to happen to Jesus, but because we were involved in it, which again we weren't, then they go and they claim that, uh, you know, that we have, uh, you know, it's, it's our problem, it's our fault. Furthermore, in Devarim, chapter 28, Deuteronomy, chapter 28, verse 15 to verse 68, it brings a whole long list of curses that if the Jewish people do not follow God's command, God's Torah, there's going to be a pre- plenty and plenty of problems that are going to come onto you. So how could somebody come and say you don't have to do the laws anymore? It says in the Torah that if you don't do these laws, you're going to go through so many problems in your life. And it's list and list and list of it. I'll tell you something really cool. Um, this is something that I was thinking if I should say it now or I should give a separate class uh, about Torah codes. But maybe I'll, instead of giving a separate class, I'll just throw it in, in a bunch of different classes. This is proof of how you see the, the divinity of the Torah. It says in the volume, and this is by the way, Rabbi Mizrahi Mizrahi brings it down, Rabbi Yohan Rubin also brings it down. There's plenty, many people bring it down, bring it down also by Matasiel Glazerson. The Torah codes. The Torah codes in this particular one. Such a beautiful one. Oh, it's amazing. In Devarim, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, 
verse 26 and verse 27. It says, And God will scatter you amongst the people. And the pasuk goes on, and it says that you'll be, you know, you'll remain few in number among the nations, which, the, which Hashem will lead you. And there you'll worship gods of wood and stone. And by the way, Rashi, referring to the same idea in the value, you know, the, the, whatever, different pasuk in chapter 64, saying, what does this mean? This doesn't mean that the Jews are actually going to be worshipping these gods, but actually they're going to be in the power of people that worship these gods. Gods of the wood and gods of the stone. So what is gods of the wood and gods of the stone that the pasuk is referring to over here? Gods of the wood is referring to Christianity. And Maimonides, Rambam brings this down. Wood is known as a cross. That's why they do knock on wood. Knock on wood is remembering waking up Jesus so that he can save him. Right? So, um, the, the wood is resemblance of the cross. What's the god of the stone? God of the stone is Mecca. Where do the Islams go and pray? They go play by the stone of Mecca. They go on the round, round the bat about it. The Torah said this before Christianity came out and before Islam came out. It says, if you're not going to pay attention to my Torah, you're not going to follow laws, I will scatter you. We're amongst people that worship the God of the wood and God of the stone. God of the wood is, is Christianity. God, this is already a prophecy. But let, well, let's take it one step further. You take... Now, I first I have to explain what Torah codes is. Torah codes is that you have a pasuk or a few psukim and with an equal mathematical skip, which means is it can't be that you say like, okay, I have this pasuk, and if you take the two words here, you take three letters, and then you skip four letters, and then you skip six letters, seven letters, it says my name. That doesn't count as anything, it just says, you know, you're just doing mumbo-jumbo. But if you're able to somehow prove that there's equal mathematical skip, which means every five letters spell out a different word, that says something. Every 50 letters spell out another, another word, that says something. So you take this pasuk, you start from the hey. You start from the hey behefits. You count 50 letters, and you go and you reach Echaf. You count another 50 letters, you reach Amen. Spells out Mecca. In the Pasuk, that it says, in these two Psukim, that says, that if you don't follow God in the Torah, you will go and you will be, you'll be under the power of people that worship the gods of the wood and the gods of the stone, says already in there, straight out Mecca. An equal mathematical skip of exactly 50 letters between each word. And it goes on, and it continues. The, you take the Yud, from Behefit, you count 50 letters, it's a Shin. You count another 50 letters, it's a, it's a Vav. Yeshu. Yeshu is known as, as, as JC, Machshmov Um You have over there exactly of referring to the God of the wood and the God of the stone. Not only is the prophecy mentioned in here, but furthermore, even an equal mathematical skip to tell you exactly what they worship and the basis of their foundation of their worship. Mic drop is what I say to that. And water spill. Um, this, I, do you have, thank you. Do you even have anything remotely close to this in the New Testament, in the Quran, in any other heebie-jeebie fake religion out there? Is there anything that has it? This is already a sign of divinity, already a sign of, of something that is outside of the realm of a human being is able to come and produce something like this. In Lashon HaKadosh, you can do it in any language you want, but it only means something if you do it something that's that. Which means is. So in order to understand the Torah codes, it's not only that you found equal mathematical scale. There's something interesting from the Shoah, which maybe will bring a different time, the, the, the Holocaust. It's, it's specifically, where, where it becomes you know, beautiful and becomes so, so divine, is not only that there's equal mathematical skip in something that is, you know, random pasukim, but where the pasuk, the verse itself, speaks about what the, what the mathematical skip is also dealing with. Like this one over here, and the Shoah also, you know, the deal with that. Okay. I'm just going to warn you guys, we're going to go a little bit over, so if anybody needs to leave, you know, if it goes too late, by all means, uh, you can go. i got to finish this. There's no way I can do part one and part two. I'm going to get sore already. I can feel it. The <clears throat> Let's look at some uh, contradictions. In Mark, 
chapter 2, verse 25 to 26, it says, By King David's time, Abiatar was the high priest. However, in Samuel, in Shmuel, chapter 21, verse 2, it says, Ahimelech was the Kohen Gadol. Which one was it? Was it both? Was it a different timeline? Another contradiction. In Luke chapter 14, verse 26, let me quote, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yeah, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Kind of saying you got to hate everybody else in order to be my disciple. Again, I'm, I'm stretching it out a little bit, but that's the idea behind it. The Torah commands us straight out, you have to honor your father and your mother. Oh yeah, wait a minute, it's part of the Ten Commandments. And then Jesus comes over here and says, Oh, if you don't hate your father and mother, then you cannot be my disciple. The missionaries, the people that answered, what did they claim? They came, no, no, no. Compared to the love that you have for Jesus, it's almost like hate. If you hate your family, compared to the love of that. Uh, we're, what? No. Do you ever... I love you so much, my darling wife, that I hate my parents. Do you ever say that? What normal person, what type of idea, emotions are that? You okay there? I'm sorry. Okay. So, and in fact, this is a very cultish idea that, that, you're, that you're dealing with. Okay. I take that as compliments, by the way. It's okay. So, yeah, yeah. So, okay. Matthew, chapter 8, verse 21 through 23. The disciples go and say unto him, Lord, speaking about Jesus, Lord, uh, let me go and bury my father, they tell him. And he says... Follow me, don't worry about it. Let the be- dead bury the dead. In Devarim, in Deuteronomy, chapter 21, verse 23, we say that the dead have to be de- buried the same day. Well, Jesus is changing everything over here. It's completely refuting everything that says from the Torah. Besides the fact that you have different versions of the New Testament. How many different versions? Over 150,000 different variant readings of the Christian Bible. In case you didn't hear me, that is over 150,000 different variant readings of the Christian Bible. So... In 1979, a modern Christian apologist by the name of Josh McDowell published a book called In Defense of Christianity. Uh, it actually published a book in Defense of Christianity. It's called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. He claims over there, and he concluded, I don't know if he researched all this 150,000, but he concluded that only, <clears throat> underlining the word, only 400 of the 150,000 varied readings of the Bible cause a doubt upon the textual meaning. And then he goes on, only 50 of these were of great significance. Did he just say only 50 of these were great... What, is this a divine religion or not? Are you telling me there's 50 great significant problems that we're not sure what it means over here and you're claiming this is a divine religion? You're going to the Torah, we're not going to say, yeah, we're not sure what this means over here. It could be, you know, there's about another three different versions of the Torah and there might be one... No, the Torah, we know exactly what it... And by the way, the Torah is a, lo, a lot, lot older than the, than the Christianity and the New Testament. And yet, we don't have any questions on what the t- says in the Torah. We have exactly the way that it was since, uh, since, uh, since we got it. Torah Shabbat. I'm talking about the written, the written, uh, written word. Um, Alright, so if that's a problem in itself, we started having a lot of conflicts between the Torah and the New Testament. But we don't have to go that far. We can, there's plenty of conflicts between the New Testament among the New Testament itself. Let's go through a few of their, of their you know, conflicting issues. In, uh, in the city where Mary, the mother of Jesus, and her husband... Uh, live, where were they living before Jesus was born? So in Luke chapter 1 verse 26 and also chapter 2 verse 4, it says in Nazareth. In Matthew chapter 2 verse 1, it says in Bethlehem. Two different places. Did they have a country house that we're not aware of? Did they have two houses? What is going on over here? Either, it's a huge contradiction. Either they lived here or they lived over there. And what boggles my mind, we're going to read all these contradictions, did the Gospels when they were writing, did they not check the other Gospels to try to collaborate the story a little bit? In what year was Jesus born? That's a pretty big idea, right? That you would think they would know, especially since they, you know, the focus of the entire calendar is on that. They celebrate that. Matthew chapter 2 verse 1, 
no later than 4 BC. This I have to actually explain. According to Matthew, Jesus was born during the reign of King Herod. King Herod died in 4 BCE, which means is that Jesus must have been, must have been born before 4 BCE. And that's in Matthew. In Luke chapter 2, verse 1 through 6, it says that he was born in 6 common era. That is not the same year, if you know math. Uh, where do they claim? They claim that he was born in the year of the Roman census. The Roman census we know happened in 6 common era. So where was it? Was it 4 BCE? Was it 6 CE? That is a huge contradiction. This is a divine book you're, you're selling to me, and you don't know when he was born? Not only you're not telling me you don't know, you give me two conflicting dates. How long after Jesus was born did Joseph and Mary remain in Bethlehem? Matthew says two years. Luke says 40 days. Was there a Roman census that affected Joseph and Mary? I'm not going to say all the, the, you know, the locations of it, but if you want, you can message me, I'll send it to you. Luke says, oh, so again, the question was, was there a Roman census that affected Joseph and Mary? Luke, yes. Matthew, no. After Judas betrayed Jesus, how did he die? Acts chapter 1 verse 15, his stomach burst open. Matthew chapter 27 verse 5, he hung himself. I have a few questions, dear father. You know, um, did he burst open and then he hung himself? Did he hung himself and then he cut up the slice open? Like, how do you even, how do you even, com- you know, collaborate this, this, uh, this contradiction? Did Judas repent before he died? Acts, no. Matthew, yes. Which day did G- was Jesus crucified? John chapter 13 verse 9, also chapter, oh, verse 29, also ver- chapter 18 verse 28, and also chapter 19 verse 14, on the 14th of Nisan. They claim that he was the carbon Pesach, which is given on the 14th of Nisan. However, in Mark chapter 14 verse 17, also Luke chapter 22 verse 14, also Matthew chapter 2 verse 20, kind of, you know, majority against one over here, he, they claim the 15th of Nisan, that the Last Supper was the Seder. So, one claim that he was, it's two different days, he can't have died twice before his even own resurrection. It's pure contradiction that they have absolutely no answer to it. What time was Jesus crucified? The third hour according to Mark, the sixth hour according to John. Did the Roman soldiers guard Jesus' tomb? According to John chapter 20 verse 1, no. According to Matthew chapter 28 verse 4, yes. The stories are go on and on, are full of inconsistencies. And by the way, there's plenty of more. There's books written out on these inconsistencies out there. How can you claim divinity with so many... These are not inconsistencies where like, maybe you could say it means something else. This is straight out inconsistencies. How can you even begin to claim that something like this is divine? They even have plain and straight out copying mistakes. In Genesis, chapter 46, verse 26, it says, Yaakov went to Egypt. Who knows? How many many people went with Yaakov to Egypt? 70. Very good. What does the New Testament say in Acts, chapter 7, verse 14? 75. How do you get 75 from 70? We're, we're, this is a, this is a, you, you write, you see, I, you're just copying and pasting. How do you mess up copying and pasting? I don't understand. So then they claim, no, that there's answer to it. There was Menashe and Ephraim, children and grandchildren, which, which doesn't make sense, not logically, not the time-wise. He didn't have his grandchildren. It, it, it just makes absolutely no sense at the time. However, they claim, ah, well, the Septuagint, you know, the Septuagint, so the Greek translation of the Torah, says 75. It says there's 75. If you look in Genesis chapter 46, verse 26 to verse, 20, verse 27, it says 75. So maybe the Torah is wrong. The problem is, is that we can't rely on Septuagint because the Christians are known to manipulate and deceive those old documents. They actually change things. How do we know that they changed them? They, they sort of left a little bit of a, a trail in this particular one because it doesn't say in only that place that you know, Yaakov came in with 70 souls. It also says in Deuteronomy, chapter 10, verse 22. So the Christians changed the Genesis 1 to 75, but they forgot to change the one in Deuteronomy, that's chapter 70. So that means the Septuagint itself, according to their variants, is also contradicting to it. Again, the New Testament says the Maris and Machpel is in Shechem. 
everybody that went and learned basic Chumash knows, uh, by the way, it says this in Acts chapter 7, verse uh, 15 and verse 16, we all know that it's in Hebron, not in Shechem. You People go and visit in Hebron the Ma'at HaMachbelah. The New Testament also says that Avram purchased the grave from Shechem, uh, the, the grave in Shechem from Hamor. That's also incorrect. You read straight out in the Chumash. It's from Ephron in uh, Hebron. So again, there is many, many contradictions. We, I'm not even going to bring about this because we spoke at a length, uh, you know, disproving that J.C. cannot be the Messiah. The difference in the conflicting lineages uh, in the different books on who J.C.'s, you know, ancestors were. The... We have time for... Uh, let's, let, me, let me touch upon this very, very briefly. I didn't have time to speak about this in the men's class. The Gospels of Mark and Matthew, they claim that there was some sort of Jewish trial of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 63 through 65, it says in Sanhedrin, they tried Jesus for the Jewish capital offense of blasphemy. And Jesus confessed. He confessed. He confessed. But what did his confession was? His confession was that he was the Son of God. And they judged him according to the law, according to the New Testament, they judged him based only on his confession. Now, you have to know some basic laws of Judaism where this is all going to be thrown completely out the window. We need, we need testimony. We need witnesses. We need aid in. So the, the you know, New Testament says there were witnesses, but the testimony was dismissed. And then Mark and Matthew and John go on and say that the Sanhedrin sentenced Jesus to death, but they could not execute criminals. So they had to go and they transferred they transfer them to the Romans. How this is wrong on every single level possible. First of all, Jesus, they claimed that Jesus, what was the blasphemy? That he claimed that him to be the anointed one, the Mashiach, the son of God. That doesn't constitute blasphemy in the, according to the Torah. Blasphemy means that you're cursing God. Nowhere in the New Testament says that he cursed God. Which means this, he cannot be liable for anything for blasphemy if he did not even do any of those sins. Furthermore, this is not a sin on the Jewish, on the Jewish uh, law. It's a sin under the, it's not a sin, it's a violation, offense under the Roman law when you claim to be a messianic king. That's obviously going to conflict with the Roman authorities. So, there is no indication in this idea that the Jesus violated the Jewish law in this, in this idea. Furthermore, the New Testament constantly, constantly blames the, the Pharisees, the, the, the Orthodox Jewish people, them. they're being too strict. Oh, you're following the law too, too good, you're doing too good. Um, then the Sanhedrin, the most prestigious institution of the Jewish you know, law system, would for sure follow the Jewish law. Now, the New Testament says that the Sanhedrin sat... Out, they, they went and they met in the private you know, residence of the high priest. According to the Jewish law, the, any criminal court, any criminal procedure that's running has to be in the, it has to be in the, in the temple. It cannot be outside the temple precinct. So which means is, according to your own, your own testimony, it's not true. It doesn't make sense according to our laws. A Jewish person is also, if a person goes and says he did something wrong, we don't convict him based on his testimony. We need to have two witnesses. Those witnesses have to go and have to be, the warn, the, warn the person. The person accepts the warning and says, no, I'm not going to do it. Any, and then he, he violates it. Then he's liable to the offense or whatever that he did. This one has absolutely nothing to do with that. And then furthermore, they said that the Jewish people can't, the, the Sanhedrin couldn't execute people. They themselves claim, they themselves claim in Mark chapter 14, um, no, it's a different one. They claim in Acts chapter 6, verse 12 and 15, that the Jewish, the Jewish Sanhedrin went and convicted and executed Stephen, a, uh, a, you know, a follower of Jesus. So at one point you're telling me that they can't execute, another point you're telling me that they can't execute. 
Meh. And they also bring in John chapter 8, verse 2, that a woman was caught in the, in the very act of adultery, was about to be executed before Jesus oh, came and supposedly you know, you know, intervened and saved her. And then it also says in, in Mark chapter 6, verse 27, that King Herod, the king of the Jews, executed John the Baptist. So, I understand, you tell me you can't execute, but you can't execute. These are so much conflicting ideas in there. How? I don't understand how 2.2 billion people are following something that's so obviously fake. I don't understand. The answer is, Jesus, I do understand, because they don't really look. They don't really look about it. It's an easy religion. Just believe. Okay, fine. i got to do whatever i got to do. It's not a big deal. It's not a hard religion. They'll do it. How many people, the people that I really blame is the people that actually study this and they know this, they can't give answers. I've searched. I've searched for the answers. I try. When I prepare these type of classes, I'm like, listen, it's not fair to give only one-sided opinion. What do the Christians say for these things? They don't have the answers. The answers are like nursery answers. You've got to listen to that. It's not true. You know, it's divine. You've got to have a problem. Such stupid answers that don't even come close to have any validity, any logical sense to it. How? 2.2 billion people are following this thing. I, I, for my life, me, I don't understand it. And people are like, you know, they're loving it. They're enjoying it. I, I really don't understand. The truth? Definitely not the truth. Very, very easily refuted, very, very easily and obvious that this is not a divine religion. I want to finish off with Mormonism. Now, just so you know, I shouldn't even need to... Any, if you refute and disprove a religion, the mother religion, then anything that comes in after that, you don't have to, dis, dis, you know, you don't have to disprove it, you don't have to refute it, because if they base on the mother religion, then there's nothing. So Mormonism, they claim Christianity was true, and it's just like a whatever part, not even a card, this is the correct version of it. So in essence, I don't even have to touch upon it. But the problem is, surprisingly, I'm not sure why, but there are many Jews that are stuck in the Mormon religion. Really, for the life of me, I can't understand it. I mean, this religion is a fairy tale makes this religion look real. Like that's, like it's not even close to it. So what happened was, this guy by the name of Joseph Smith, this is a fairly new religion. Surprisingly, I don't know how they have 12 to 15 million followers already. And by the way, they are extremely wealthy. This, they don't, if I'm not mistaken, I think the Mormon religion is one of the only religions that they don't disclose their income. But they're said to be worth in the billions. Now, um, the, this guy by the name of Joseph Smith, he, um, you know, he goes, let me, let me tell you a little bit about Joseph Smith. So Joey, um, or if you want to call him Joseph Smith, he, uh, he claimed that he had a stone, this is beforehand, that he could find hidden objects. And he put the stone in his hand and directed him to, to you know, to hidden objects. He, um, you know, he actually took money for this. And, of course, he never found anything because it was probably a stone that he was skipping on the rock and the river. And he never, and he was actually convicted and put into prison for fraud uh, for that. Um, so he got out. He was also, um, he was also very much involved in black magic as well. So he, he gets out and, you know, an angel comes to him. In 1823, an angel by the name of uh, Moroni comes over to him and he says, Hey, listen, I'm an angel um, and I hit some golden plates. And guess what? It's like right down the block. You know, it's like right near you. You know, whatever. It's, it's nearby. Go and find it and then, you know, we'll take it from there. So... He goes and he finds the, the, you know, he finds this Book of Mormon. This is uh, originally written in Reformed Egyptian. And what happened was it was, a, it was a prophet by the name of Moroni. And he was a prophet. He buried this in upstate New York. And then he returned to earth in 1827 or 1823 or whatever to reveal the location to Joseph Smith. And said, this is the golden plates. Go translate it. This is the, you know, this is the correct religion. So, Joseph, Joseph Smith goes... He takes these plates, he finds these golden plates, and he translates them. Now, how does he translate them? So he had magic glasses. Um, it's actually known, it's known as Urim and Tumim. Urim and Tumim. Oh, I wonder where he got that from. And he puts on this like magic 
spectacles, and he had this stone that he put in his hat, and he covered his hat, and, and you know, put it in his face, and he went, and he was able to translate it, this is like the code, he was able to translate this rare Egyptian language into uh, common English, and he translated it word for word. Uh, then there was a person by the name of Al- Oliver Cowdery, who, uh, you know, became involved in this, uh, you know, growing religion. And Cowdery and Smith went, you know, on May 15th in 1829, and they received the ironic priesthood from the resurrected John the Baptist. So he came back to life, this uh, evil person, and he went and he baptized, and you know, he made them like priests. Then they went and they baptized each other in the river. Then later he and Smith goes into the forest. They pray until, and I'm quoting, until a glorious light encircled us as we arose on the count of the light. And then they were presented with three people. Uh, those three people were Peter, James, and John. They came over to him and, you know, sort of, you know, started their uh, religion that way. So, Let's look at some of the ideas on their religion. And when you have somebody who is a convicted fraudulent person, says like, yeah, I have, I found these golden tablets. Um, can we see them? No, you cannot. Um, for numerous reasons. Obviously, you cannot see them. You have to trust me. I will translate them for you, and uh, you will, I will present you the new religion. And there are people, you know, like, for example, I'll give you the name, Martin Harris. One of the, one of the witnesses is recorded to confess that none of the witnesses ever saw their plates with their natural eye. Only through a vision. Same idea with other with Christianity. Um, so, historians look at the Book of Mormon, and they view the language patterns, the phrases, the names, and it's evidence, it's already proven evidence that it's not authentic. It cannot be an old thing. It does, it, the, the names that he used, everything, the terminology, the verbiage that he uses, is not authentic, and is not, is not true. The Christians themselves, the Catholic Church, say that it was all a fabrication. It was all made up. Uh, you know, and it, they say some very, very interesting ideas. Uh, men can become gods, according to them. In fact, God was once a man. Uh, that, and, and, you know, they, and the idea is if you become good enough, and then you will become a god, and you'll have your own world. Similar to how God has this world. There's many, many gods, and you can have your own world. Um, and, but, you know, of course, there are many gods, but you can only pray to, three God, to, to the Trinity and, you know, nothing else. He claims Adam was a god. Uh, very, you know, absurd uh, stuff. So Joseph Smith, he's himself declared, God himself was once as we are now, and is an exalted man. Now the Mormons, they think of themselves as new Jews. Now I have to, I have to, uh, uh, the priesthood, by the way, there is, they claim priesthood. Very interesting. They claim priesthood, and um, they, there's two priesthoods. There's a high priesthood called the Malkitzedic priesthood, and there's a lower priesthood called the Aaronic uh, uh, priesthood. And what happens is when you become into the, you know, the, the religion, you actually go and you get, um, you get a blessing. It's called a patriar- patriarchal blessing. And the, the, the bishop over there goes, puts, you know, make sure obviously you got to follow the, the, one of the losers. There's no, the, there's no smoking, no drinking, no, no premarital relations, and, you know, so on and so forth. And then he goes, he sits you in a chair, he puts his hands on you, p- presses play on the tape recorder, and, um, and, he, and he starts giving you a divine blessing. And it's a patriarchal blessing. I actually have one, and I'll show you guys later from somebody who sent me an actual patriarchal, uh, you know, blessing on, you know, that that he received on it. Um, I had to cross out the names, obviously, but but it's something, you know, very very interesting. They take this into a whole other level. Now, they claim that they have when they're giving this blessing, it's coming from the divine. It's a divine revelation. And what's interesting is I was speaking to somebody who was in this uh, Mormon uh, religion, and he was telling me that, you know, what was interesting is that. His parents and his sisters were assigned, they each assigned one of the Shvatim, one of the tribes. They get assigned, you know, by the tribe, by this, uh, you know, bishop. His parents and his sisters were assigned the tribe of Ephraim. But his brother and him were assigned to the tribe of Menashe. 
he says, but how is it possible if we're all family? Shouldn't we be part of the same thing? So they answer to him, I don't know how you tell this to a kid, you are spiritually adopted. And that's why you're from a different... He, he claims to me, he's like, till this day, I don't understand what that means. Like, what does that mean, spiritually adopted? Oh, I don't know. They, they, came in there. they probably didn't look at the old records when they gave him the new blessing. And they're like, oh, whatever, don't worry about it. Um, so he was a spiritually uh, you know, adopted thing. And they actually, you know, they have this full... By the way, this, you know, this religion, I, it's literally, it's, it, you know how cultish it is? I have a resignation letter. If you want to leave the church, I, I have it over here, and I'll, I'll pass it around to, you know, dear brother and the name. This letter, and I'm going to read it to you. I'm telling you, this is looking like a gym membership. This letter is to notify you that in accordance with your request, you are no longer a member of the Church of J.C. and Later Day Saints. Should you desire to become a member of the church in the future, the local bishop of your branch and present in your ear will be happy to help you. Signed, the branch manager. I mean, this is like a gym membership. Should you ever decide to be healthy and lose weight again, we're always here for you and we'll join, you know, come again again. Are you kidding me? This is, you know... So he has, he's got his letter of resignation, uh, you know, on it. But um, this is not a religion. This is a cult. And you'll see how it actually is presented as a cult. They actually, uh, you know, you know what polygamy is? One man, many wives. Um, so Joseph Smith, he had many, many wives. Some say roughly, at least, well, I should say at least 34 wives he had. And two of them, he got married when they were 14 years old. Four, 14 years, there's a term that we use. By the way, this was in the mid-1800s. You're not talking about 7,000 years ago. Um, which not doesn't exist, but whatever. Uh, he also married a 17 and 19-year-old. Year and by the way, he didn't marry a 17 and 19-year-old when he was like 20. And he was like, okay, whatever, you know, high school sweetheart, whatever. It was, you know, he was 37 years old. They were 17, you know. And then he went and he married them, besides of two 14-year-olds. He also, Smith, uh, you know, Joseph Smith, he goes over to one of his, uh, you know, followers, Kimball, and he says, um, your wife, I need to marry her. She has to go to me. And he was very troubled by it. He's like, what? he's like, my wife? He's like, you need to take my... And he was going back and forth. It took him some time. Finally, he says, you know what? You're the prophet. You're, you know, obviously a man of God. What am I supposed to do? Here's my wife. You can have her as a wife. And he was like, ah, I was just kidding. I wanted to see how devoted you are to me. And this didn't happen once. It happened twice with John Taylor also. Now... If, first of all, that's, you know, if he wanted to really see if someone's devoted as a prophet, wouldn't you know that? Wouldn't you know, do you have to test the person? This is actually, you know, Joseph Smith was establishing something we call control. This is, you know, if you ever take cult 101, you know, how to start a cult. Um, I don't know if they offer that in your local, uh, you know, places. But um, in order to establish a cult, you have, to, you have to establish dominance, you have to establish control. This is how he was establishing control. You have to listen to me regardless of whatever I say. Because if you're listening, if you're so devoted that you're willing to give me your wife, then I can tell you to jump off the bridge, you'll jump off the bridge. The, that is not the biggest problem. The problem is, is that they also uh, go with polyandry. Polyandry is somewhere where you have... Anybody know what that is? One woman can have multiple husbands. Um, and this is a problem uh, on many levels. First of all, Joseph Smith married women who are still married to their husbands. We call that adultery. Um, they would also call that adultery. So, and this was at least, out of the 34 women that he married, at least 11 of them were actually married, currently married, currently active with their actual husbands. Th does this sound like a religion or does this sound like a cult to you? There, uh, you know, and, and five of those 11 were actually members of the church. Other, I don't know how he got the other six of them, he went to them. But um, these women were living with him or living with their, with their, with their husbands. Besides the fact that the, Mo the Mormon scriptures condemns this. It condemns it in DNC chapter 132 verse 61. Clearly condemns it. But yet they, and they claim that they can marry more, they can marry three women from one family. Mothers and daughters as well as sisters, you can marry them all together, not a problem. It's, Joseph was like working his way through the town. It was like relations for salvation. He was like giving it out. The, 
you know, interesting though is that if you're putting, you know, prop, doing these propositions to all these women, there are bound to be some refusals. And he had 18 documented refusals. But if a woman refused, he would claim that, you know, she's committing adultery, like he would, you know, so no one will, it's literally somebody who commits rape and then he convinced the other person that it was their fault. It's like, you know, like this is 100%, you know, cult-like. And a bunch of the leaders in this, in, this, uh, in this Mormon religion had many wives. Young had 55 wives. 55 wives. That's like, you know, it's like living in the Middle East. Um, Kimball had 43 wives. Uh, you know, modern day Mormonism also forbids tea, coffee, alcohol, and tobacco. The problem is that Smith himself smoked and drank also. So I don't know how you get to that. But one of the things that, I, that really sticks out about this is that in 1835... Joseph Smith came into possession of Egyptian mummies and some papyrus scroll. How did he get into this? I want to know how he got in New York. How did he get this? By the way, he got kicked out of New York. That's why he's in Utah. That's why they're in Utah now. Um, he found this this parchment and he and he trans he could translate it because he reads fluent, uh, you know, with his eyeglasses and magic glasses and pebble. Um, and he translated it. And it was, it turns out, it was the book of Abraham Avinu. Abraham Avinu wrote a book. He found it um, in Egypt and he translated it. Now again, nobody else could read it, so everyone was just taking their, his word for it. And however, later this paper went missing, and later it was found again. It was found by the New York Metropolitan Museum of Art. And many Egyptologists went and examined to interpret this scroll, to see if there's any accuracy to this. It, they confirmed the date to be about 50 BCE, not 2,000 years earlier than that, whatever, 18, you know, another, two, close to 2,000 years earlier than that where Abraham was in his time. So they were off, of, you know, a little bit about 1,800 years, give or take, you know, a few hundred years. And all the text was just basic Egyptian, you know, text. Nothing to do with Abraham, nothing to do with that. This is a man who is a committed, com- committed, a convicted felon. He is known to practice fraudulent activity, was proven more times again that it's a fake religion, and yet you have 12 to 15 million people following this religion. Can you explain, even though the religion itself is so cult-like, how do you even begin to understand that this religion is a true religion? It may, besides the fact that, you know, once you refute Christianity, everything else that comes Christianity, I mean, Seventh-day Adventists, all, every, Jay Witnesses, everything else, once you take out Christianity, you take out the mother, you take out all the children also. There's nothing, all this religion, all these subcategories, I'm not going to have to deal with people, and by the way, I know this right now. I'm gonna to have to say it. I know I'm gonna get a lot of comments on this on this video. I know I'm gonna get a lot of emails on it. Do me a favor. I've gotten so many emails on my previous video, yet not one person has ever claimed to say that he answered any of my my issues that I presented. You want to comment on all these things that you want to send me emails? You know, you don't reading your right. You don't have the divine prophecy in you. That's why you don't understand the New Testament. That's why these are not really conflictions. These are really unity in a higher sense. For it. whatever it is that you're gonna tell me, show me proofs. Show me sources. I want to see, you, you have answers to me, and I said this before, if I'm proven wrong, I'll say it on camera, hey, by the way, I gave a class about Christianity, it turns out I was wrong about this, this thing. Now, I'm not going to say that if you find me wrong on like one little idea on the thing that I said, but if you find on the topic that I'm speaking about is wrong, I will gladly say and state it publicly that it is wrong. And until I get that, Anybody that's listening, that means that you don't have an answer. And if you don't have an answer, then the question is, what are you doing? You're playing with fire. You're dancing in a religion that is cultish, that is idolatry, that you're risking your entire afterlife, your entire eternity, for what? And I'm not saying if people are not Jewish and they're listening to this, don't convert to Judaism. We're not here, this is not, I'm not here to missionize, I'm not here to convert people. 
Keep the Sheba Mitzvah Spinei Noach. That's all you have to do. Kick out Christianity. That is all nonsense. That's all rubbish. That is, if you're listening from England, it's all nonsense. You don't need it. It's fake. It's nothing. Any questions? Yeah. Um, what's the difference According to Christianity? Oh, so the Old Testament. Well, we have just one testament, which is the Torah. It's just the 24 books of Tanakh. The Christians, they claim the 24 books of Tanakh, they claim all of it is true, all of the prophet Israel, but it's um, the Old Version, the Old Testament. The New Testament is the additional books that came after J.C., so you have all the Gospels. Yeah. Well, they claim that it was divine. They do claim that it was written by divine... Uh, and that's, that's where Christianity comes from, all the things that are written? Yeah, that's the basis of the foundation, that's your text. Mm-hmm. Good? Any other questions? No questions? Pretty clear. It's pretty obvious how illogical and so easy to refute this religion. I can't... It's like you're dealing with... It's like... It's like I, there are harder religions that are smaller, that are difficult to, to, to refute. And Christianity is so easy. It's so obvious. That I, for the life of me, I can't understand. Two billion people, I feel sorry for them. I really wish them the best. And I really hope that they wake up and at least do the right thing. Keep the Shevim Mitzvah in awe. It's just as easy. You don't have to deal with that. You know, whatever. All right. Anyways, Chazakabu. <laughs> You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.